This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. In 2020, Chilean citizens voted overwhelmingly for their national constitution to be rewritten. This was the culmination of mass protests the year before. Now, a constitutional convention is actively rewriting the constitution, which will be put to the public for an up or down vote later this year. With me to talk about the ways in which education is being reimagined in the new constitution in Chile is Carlos Navia Canales. Yeah, in terms of education, we can see the influence of neoliberalism at least in two dimensions. Firstly, related to the aims of education. While international agreements state that education is connected to the promotion of human rights or the promotion of democracy, the other one, uh, we can see how the constitution doesn't uh, regulate, for instance, the um, quality of education, I mean as an obligation for the state to provide a quality of education without discrimination for everyone. I think that we can see those aspects. Carlos is a lawyer with experience in human rights, constitutional law, and the right to education. He is currently a technical advisor on education to the Constitutional Convention. In our conversation today, he takes us inside the convention, detailing some of the debates delegates are having over education and its future. Carlos Navia Canales, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you very much, Will. So in May of 2020, Chile voted basically to rewrite its constitution. Some, it was overwhelming. Something like 78% of voters voted in support of rewriting the constitution. What does that actually mean? I mean, that seems quite amazing in a way. Yeah, this is huge because the current constitutional process start at the end of 2019 with the biggest social demonstrations since the return to democracy. And currently, we are the only country in South America in which uh, constitutions created under dictatorship is still in force. So this is a big thing for us. So this is Pinochet and his constitution. Yes. And so that was implemented when? Yeah, that was created during 1973 to uh, 1980. It was implemented from the early 80s. So yeah, that's what that's what we have. That's the constitution that still exists to this day in Chile. And so can you describe that sort of current constitution? Like what's in it? And what are people so concerned about when it comes to that constitution? This constitution, as I told you, was created under dictatorship and it was influenced by neoliberalism. So we can see how the role of the state is reduced in the context of this uh, constitutional regulation. It is possible to see how, in terms of social rights, the state doesn't play an important role, a relevant role. When so can you give an example of what that would look like in, in terms of education? Yeah, in terms of education, we can see the influence of neoliberalism, at least in two dimensions. Firstly, uh, related to the aims of education. While international agreements state that education is connected to the promotion of human rights or the promotion of democracy, uh, we can see how our political constitution only connects education with the improvement of the general situation of the individuals, not uh, within a society. Or That's the first thing. The other one, uh, we can see how the constitution doesn't uh, regulate, for instance, the um, quality of education. I mean, as an obligation for the state to provide a quality of, of education 
education without discrimination for everyone. I think that we can see those aspects. Those two aspects are in the current constitution. So in other words, the constitution of Chile frames education as an individual good and also doesn't really talk anything about issues around quality education. The, the current constitution doesn't talk about the quality of education, doesn't talk about democracy, human rights, plurinationality. I mean, when we talk about education, it doesn't uh, regulate free uh, higher education, which is a commitment of the Chilean state. So yeah, we can see those aspects. And in terms of education, I mean, a few years ago, Chile sort of made the international news for student protests. I mean, it was just sort of these massive student protests. So now were these protests in any sense related to what's in the constitution currently when it comes to education? These social protests are connected with the current constitutional process, despite the fact that the social demonstrations of 2019 directly connected to the current constitutional process. We can see how social movements in 2006 and 2011 raised some social demands that are connected with the current constitutional process. And actually, we can see how one of the leaders of those social demonstrations has been recently elected as the new president of Chile, Gabriel Boric, who participated in 2011. So basically, you know, what you're saying is that these protests from 20, 2006 to 2011, which were very much focused on education and high fees in, in universities, for instance, and one of the leaders, Gabriel Boric, ends up becoming the president or president-elect of Chile, and the 2019 protests that directly sort of came before the referendum to rewrite the constitution. All of this leads up to this really important moment of agreeing to rewrite the constitution. So to what extent in your mind is education sort of the impetus behind a lot of these protests that have led to this really historic moment in the country? Well, I think the problems related to education uh, have been crucial to arrive to this uh, moment. As you know, in the educational field, neoliberalism reduces the role of the state uh, based on the assumption that the market uh, will contribute to improve both the efficiency and the quality of the educational system. But after 40 years, the evidence from Chile shows that neoliberalism has increased the level of inequality and segregation okay, among students from different sociocultural backgrounds. So the thing is that students led the social demonstrations in 2007 and 2011, they show how neoliberalism not only connected to education, but also to other social rights. I think that after 10 years, citizens, Chilean citizens, realize that social demands related to social rights not be satisfied by the legal and political institutions that, that were developed under the current political constitution. So here we are in 2022. And just about two years ago, there was the vote to rewrite the Constitution. So what happens after that vote? Like, what is the actual process that a country has to go through to rewrite its Constitution? How does it actually unfold? Chile experienced a huge transformation because 
As I told you, in 2019, we were the only country in South America with a constitution created under the dicta dictatorship still in force. And now we have the first constituent assembly uh, of the world, which is composed by the, by the same proportion of men and women. And we have uh, representatives from uh, native ethnics, which is new in Chile. Of course, this is the first time that in Chile we can create political constitution with participation of citizens. So this is totally new for us. So how did these citizens come to work in this convention? Were they elected? Like, how does that actually happen? Yeah, we had an election. And after that election, 155 people were elected to participate in the uh, Constituent Assembly. And they are working in seven commissions, uh, seven working groups. One of them is human rights. And the content of the new regulation of the right to education has been proposed by this Commission of Human Rights. And we are now in a moment in which the entire assembly is discussing the content proposed by uh, the commissions. Okay, so 150 people get elected that sort of represent all different walks of life in Chile and across Chile. And they are working together in this constitutional convention to rewrite the constitution, write a new constitution, based on these seven different commissions. And they debate and discuss what's happening within each of these commissions. And then at some point, they must have a new constitution. And what has to happen to it? Well, it is expect that we will have a new document, I mean, the draft, at the end of June, uh, because the constitution will be worked, sorry, the convention will be working until the 4th of July, July the 4th. Mm -hmm. And then we will have a referendum to approve, uh, hopefully, the new uh, document. So everyone in Chile that is allowed to vote will be able to cast their opinion about this new draft constitution. Yeah, the main difference, because we have, at the end of this process, two referendums uh, will be held. At the beginning, to decide to rewrite, as, as you say, to rewrite the, the constitution, people decide to do it and decide to do it by a mechanism, which is the constituent assembly. That's the first, the first referendum. But the participation in that referendum was voluntary mm -hmm. for citizens. And now uh, it's a compulsory participation to decide if the new document, if the new constitution will replace the, the current constitution. That's incredible. So everyone in Chile who's allowed to vote will be, it will be compulsory to do so when there is the draft constitution ready to be voted on. What an exciting sort of moment in Chile. I mean, and this is sort of separate from Gabriel Boric being elected, who is a young sort of, you know, leftist candidate, former student protest leader becoming elected president. I mean, that it's sort of like these two huge moments happening in Chile that will all come to a fore in the next few months, more or less. So I guess, what does it feel like to be in Chile at this moment? Honestly, it feels cool because, yeah, suddenly we are a progressive country. Yeah, people are looking at, at our country as an example uh, in South America. Unfortunately, uh, well, you, you say that we have to separate process. I mean, Gabriel Boric as the new president and the constitutional process, but they are connected. I mean, Gabriel Boric wants to implement a new political constitution. The other candidate didn't want to do it. He wants to maintain the current political constitution. So that's important. And as you know, the articles, I mean, the text is one thing and the implementation is a different of the constitution. So it's very important what's going to happen the next three or four years uh, with the new president. So there's not only this opportunity to rewrite it, there's also this 
political will and political power to actually implement it, hopefully. Uh, it's really quite an incredible situation. So I guess, you know, that in a sense is the context here. What have you been doing specifically in regards to this constitutional convention that's been taking place? Well, I belong to the Socialist Party, and I think it's important to say it, to mention it. And um, I think around 17 members of the Constituent Assembly belong to uh, to the Socialist mm. Party as well. So I provide uh, advice in terms of the expected regulation of the right to education. I also work as a coordinator of the um, educational research area of the think tank of the Socialist Party. Mm. So uh, I've been working on the regulation of the right to education, which includes at least two big elements. On the one hand, uh, elements in regulated in international agreements, which are not included in the current political constitution. And I also want to recover some elements that belong to the constitutional tradition of Chile, uh, which are missed in the current political constitution. For instance, the importance of public education and the role of the state to provide public education in terms of quality. And so that historically, that was found in older versions of Chile's constitution and, and the Socialist Party wants to see it back in now, in the new one. So you are sort of sitting behind the scenes in a way at this constitutional convention working on text, working on, you know, ways to shape the constitution in terms of education. What sort of debates are there in this convention? Because like you said, the Socialist Party only has 15 seats out of 150. So I would imagine there has to be a lot of debate and I guess consensus or majority vote to adopt different perspectives. So, you know, what are some of these debates that you can share with us? Yeah, by the way, in the current composition of the Constitutional Convention, 15 is a good number. How so? What do you mean it's a good number? Because I think that if we consider the parties and organizations from left, Socialist Party is one of the biggest organizations that are represented in the current political constitution. How many parties are there? Wow, we have a lot of parties, at least. We have three main coalitions, uh, mm -hmm. the right, of course, the center left and the left. In that left, I think that that's the left of uh, Gabriel Boric, the current oh, president. Right. But also we have in this constitution, uh, we have people that don't belong to political parties. And that's new for us huh. as well. Which of these different factions is the largest? The center left, the left, they are the largest. And they are working together, fortunately, in the majority of subjects, including... Given that context of this convention... What are the debates that you're seeing unfold when it comes to education specifically? Where, like, where is their debate? I think that the debate will be focused on the, the aims of education. That's crucial. I told you about the current regulation. It's too narrow, only the development of individuals. But now we want to include a democracy, human rights, maybe plurinationality, uh, solidarity. Uh, gender solidarity as well. So that, that's important uh, considering the, the composition of the assembly, uh, 50-50. I think also the obligation of the state to provide education of a good quality, which is new. Also, I think we have to include the instruction in each person's first language, which will be new in, in this context. Because if we regulate the pre-nationality as an element of the Chilean state, that will impact the content of education and the way in which mm. this is delivered. Of those various points, are, you know, are there disagreements? Like, do some of the parties in the Constitutional Convention disagree with including 
you know, human rights education and gender parity and issues around different language-based educations for different communities across Chile. Like, I mean, are they are these debated issues? Like, are there disagreements? There are disagreements, but I think that at this stage, the main disagreement is related to the importance of freedom of education or freedom of teaching. Because this is the thing, left and the right are involved in discussion in a big debate about this. Because from my perspective, freedom of education is not a problem itself. Because freedom of education contributes the exercise of the right to education by increasing education projects. Okay, And if you want to say it, maybe it contributes to satisfy the requirement of availability. From my perspective, it's okay, uh, freedom of education. What is freedom of education, by the way? I think it's the um, opportunity or the possibility to create uh, new educational projects. And it's also connected with the right of parents to choose the education of their sons, maybe. Because, as you know, uh, the, the state is not always able to provide public uh, education. The private sector is also involved in, in this aim. And they contribute to, uh, by creating new educational projects. Considering that, it's not a problem because we need more schools to provide education for everyone. Mm. The problem in, in Chile is that under the current political constitutional regulations, sorry, freedom of education has been interpreted as the possibility of both selecting students by schools and possibility of making a profit by schools. So that's a problem. So the problem that you see is when private schools that get set up have the aim of actually profiting from education rather than, you know, providing additional access and choice to parents. Yeah. In the last 10 years, we can see that schools choose students, but not parents choose schools. How does that actually work? How do schools end up choosing students? They can select the students. And that's a problem under the concept of right to education. Because I think that the extreme interpretation of freedom of education in Chile has led to, uh, one, schools can choose students. They select students. Second, they define the payment and we mm. can find different tuition fees. And the third is that schools can make profits for this. That's the problem of the interpretation of uh, freedom of education. So the Socialist Party at the Constitutional Convention is trying to say we shouldn't allow those practices to exist in the new constitution when we talk about freedom of education. So how do you actually implement those sort of regulations into a constitution? How do you actually do that? We have two stages. The first one, of course, is to include this in the short article of education. And we can only say very general aspects of this. But the important thing is the second stage, when either the Ministry of Education in the new government of Gabriel Boric or the Congress implement public policies. Hmm. to define this. So that will be a, a different scenario. Right. Okay. So it's almost like the debate about specific regulations and how things are implemented will take place through the ministry. But I guess with the article around education or multiple articles in this case, is there anything that you can do, you know, when you're in these negotiations, is there anything that you can do to sort of make sure that the term freedom of education doesn't get interpreted, you know, in this negative sense from your perspective that you've seen in Chile historically, right, over since since Pinochet, for instance. How can you sort of maneuver the process to make sure you don't have bad interpretations of uh, freedom of education? 
that's a, a great point. You can do it, I think, in two different ways. One of them is directly in the article, in the norm of education. Mm -hmm. And you can say something like, for instance, freedom of education contributes to the exercise of the right to education, just to show what is the importance of right to education and freedom of education. Okay, so you take freedom of education and you directly link it to this other idea of human rights. Yeah, you can say that. Or for instance, you can also say uh, something like education is a social and universal right, then it is non-discriminatory and public and private schools have to provide quality of education for everyone mm. uh, with non-discrimination. That, that, that would be important. But also you can do it in a different way, which means that the context of the whole political constitution uh, provides an interpretation when you read or when you analyze the article of, of education. Is this article on education, is it currently written or are you still debating the language of that specific article? Partially written, partially this is being debating, but I think that within the next two weeks we will have an agreement related to this because now the entire assembly is discussing the drafts right. by every commission. Yeah. Has any um, different group in the assembly raised a point that around education that surprised you that you didn't think of? For the right parties, it's very important to maintain the concept of uh, freedom of education mm. as it has been interpreted under the current political constitution. Yeah, that, that's very important for them. And so what do you do in that case? Are you trying to build sort of consensus with them? Is that what's happening? Yeah, you have to negotiate, of course, but there are certain areas in which it's not possible to negotiate. Mm. For instance, what you can do at this point is to include freedom of education, which is important for right, but then maybe to say something as what I said before. Yeah. I mean, the relationship between right to education and freedom of education. I say this because there is a part of the left that didn't want to include freedom of education in the political constitution. That would be sort of the most secure way of ensuring you don't have those private schools that operate in, you know, as you perceived it to be so negatively currently. So by excluding the term freedom of education, you might not have that problem going forward. But so you're saying that they weren't able to cut that from constitutions? Too. Yeah. So, well, that, that's the point. That's the result of the negotiation. I mean, mm. you have to include it, but then you have to moderate. And within this assembly, is do they have to reach consensus? Does every member have to agree to it? Or is it done by a majority vote? We need the 65% of the votes of right. the members. Okay, so there's a lot of coalitions forming around. I mean, it's just, I love the stories about, you know, specific words being so important or so sort of consequential and debating every single word that goes into it. And, and we should say that, you know, what you're doing in terms of the education article is likely happening for all of the other articles as well. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. So it's such an exciting moment, and soon this constitution will be sent off to the public to vote. And so, you know, let's assume that it gets passed and assume that the new president, Gabriel Boric, will implement a lot of this new constitution. Do, do you think daily life in Chile is going to change? Yeah, it's, it's going to change, but we have to analyze this uh, situation from different perspectives. Uh, the first one, the new constitution will come in effect after September. 
2000 mm-hmm. uh, this year, I mean. But then we need a few years to reorganize the current legislation in Chile in order to be coherent with the content of the new political constitution. On the other hand, we need to wait for the implementation of the political constitution by the new president and by the Congress. So we need new policies that maybe will bring an effect or an impact in the next five or ten years. But still, it's important, uh, this new political constitution, because the, the, the political constitution, it's not only a legal document, but also it summarizes the cultural agreements of societies. Mm. So it's very important to redefine the coexistence, what the constitution says. And that has a huge impact, I mean, immediately. And, and on the other hand, I think that this political constitution, because I think that we will have a new one, will contribute to moderate the impact of neoliberalism. And I think that's the main aim of this political constitution. And I think that we will do that immediately. I mean, we are doing that now with this political constitutional process. Carlos Navia Canales, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. Best of luck with the final stages of this constitutional convention and fingers crossed that this constitution gets approved. Thank you very much, Will. For me, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Carlos Navia Canales is a technical advisor on education to the Chilean Constitutional Convention. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Fatih Octus, Obafemi Ongunle, Dion Jiang, Annabella Afroboteng, Anya Lin, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Priming. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, the Shakta Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.